Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 309, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We got some stuff to discuss, some NFL thoughts as the trade deadline has come and gone. The Cowboys are rolling into their bye weekend. No Cowboys this weekend. It's a free Sunday for some of you if all you care about is the Cowboys which is always kind of nice, I would imagine, in the middle of the year, too. I love when they have the middle of the year buy. Like, if I was one of those teams that had a buy after the first month, I'd be like, well, I mean, I don't need a buy yet. Like, I, <laughs> I feel like you want the buy later. As later in the year as you can get it, you know, get yourself eight, nine games under your belt, and then I feel like that that's the good. You know, you get that natural break halfway through, and then you come back for the back half. Check this out, bro. At once, I was talking to somebody today. And don't ask how this topic came up. But he told me that the St. Louis Rams once had a bye in week two. What? I'm, I'm like, what the hell do you do with a bye in week two? Yeah. I didn't realize the NFL used to do that. That's what he said. Now, I didn't go check it and verify it. But he used to work for the Rams. So, you know. I mean, that is amazing. Week two. I mean, that's just that's just dumb. You know, I wonder maybe maybe like when they first had buys, that was what they did. And they're like, oh, hey, guess what? We shouldn't do this. That's yeah, interesting. It could, it could be. Uh, while we're talking, I'll, I'll go back and check it. Now yeah, because that's wild, man. So before we get into some thoughts about the Cowboys at the buy and we're going to have a fun trip around the block. We've got Clarence Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. We'll get his thoughts on the Cowboys and not pulling the trigger on a wide receiver at the buy or at the trade deadline, I should say. But none of this is possible without our great sponsors. I mean, it's literally, we, we wouldn't be doing this if these guys weren't supporting us, and your support of them helps support us, much like Greening Law. And as you guys know, I've been working with Greening Law coming up on 16 months now, an ongoing case of a car accident that I had over, man, coming up a year and a half ago almost. I was hurt in a car accident, and it sucked. And that Monday, I made my call to Greening Law. My consultation was free, as I knew it would be. They asked me a few questions, and the next thing you know, they've been working with me ever since, taking care of all of that stuff behind the scenes. Just calling me, hey, we got you this appointment. We need you to go see this specialist. We're going to set this up for you. And everything else is handled by them. And, and 
especially when you're first starting out down the road. I mean, when you're in a car accident, it hurts, man. And and you've got, you, you physically and mentally need time for healing and renewal. They handle all that crap for you and give you that time. That's what greening law does for you. And, you know, Matt's told you this can be kind of a really complicated, tedious, tricky kind of process. And so you want somebody like Greening Law kind of holding your hand, putting a flashlight to the pathway, if you will, showing you how to walk, how to step. So it's not quite such an intimidating process. And so that you can let them do the heavy lifting while, as Matt says, what do you do? You focus on getting your body back right. That's exactly what you do, man. I mean, that's as as generic as it kind of say you're like what do you mean i'm telling you those of you that have been hurt and have these experiences you know what i'm talking about call the green team they only get paid if you get compensated and the consultation is free so what are you waiting for 972-934-8900 it's 972-934-8900 robert greening call him now office dallas texas the cowboys are six and two at the bye, my friends the dallas cowboys I don't think any of us would have thought that this would be a 6-2 and two football team when Dak Prescott had that injury. Cooper Rush comes in, holds down the fort. The scenario at wide receiver, which could have been very, very scary, it still feels like you need something, but it hasn't killed them yet. And as we sit right now, going into their bye, this is a Dallas Cowboys team where you've got the Philadelphia Eagles at 7-0, and the Minnesota Vikings at 6-1, and and the Cowboys at 6-2, and currently the third seed in the NFC. I like it. Not, <laughs> I hope so. You know, it's, uh, you know, I think the thing about the Cowboys is with Dak coming back, the defense playing well, special teams playing well. Again, man, I've said this for a long time now. Because uh, you got to remember, I picked the Cowboys go 8-9. and nine. Um, And so clearly it looks to me like they're going to win more than eight games. Yeah. And it's I didn't expect an elite defense. I didn't expect elite special teams. Uh, the offense has been what I expected it to be. Uh, but what happens is, bro, they can win like this if they play a certain way. And it looks to me like they're c- committed to playing a certain way. And as long as they don't suffer catastrophic injury, they're going to be interesting. Um and great defense will get you excited, man, because you're like, they're only going to score so many points. We have a shot. Yeah, that's very true. And and when you look at what the Cowboys have coming up in these final nine games, I mean, this is, you know, and the reality of it is it, it's a scheduling quirk, we could say, if you want to say that. I think that that's fair. But that is the way that the rotation of the NFL schedule happened to work out. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but they are going to be the beneficiaries of getting to play the AFC South, which currently has three teams that are below 500. The only team that's worth the crap in the AFC South is the Tennessee Titans, who are five and two. They are the beneficiaries of playing the NFC North. The NFC North has three teams that are below 500, and the only team that's worth the crap are the Minnesota Vikings. So you look at that, the entire NFC East is going to get to play both of those divisions. That is eight games. Those eight games, currently six of those eight teams are below 500. And it's not just the Cowboys. Again, the Giants are benefiting from that. The Eagles are benefiting from that. The Commanders, if they were worth the crap, they'd be benefiting for that. The fact that Washington is 4-4 four and four is a benefit of that. But that is kind of something that when you get an opportunity like this, you need to take advantage of it. And so far, the Cowboys have been able to do that. Bro, that's a lot of what the NFL is about, man. 
you know, some years you play difficult divisions and, and it's harder to come by wins. And sometimes you get lucky in a year like this and you go, wow, it's kind of stacked up for us to win games. I mean, dude, I was uh, I don't really watch ESPN that much, the morning shows, but I was looking at it today because uh, it was on the TV in somebody's office where I was and they popped this, the, the Eagle schedule up and I go, now I don't believe that they're going undefeated, but there's not a lot of losable games on their schedule where the yeah. Cowboys are basically playing the same schedule. There's not a lot of losable games on there. So your Cowboys could get to 12 wins, uh, maybe even 13. Uh, if they play, you know, if they play well and you're not going to play your best ball every weekend, but if you can figure out how to win a game or two when you don't play good, yeah. And so even though there's a lot of season left, that two games – Seems like a lot because, damn, if the Eagles are going to play pretty good football, they're just not going to lose too much because they're not playing anybody who's any good. Yeah, and you're going to have to beat them. I mean, that is obviously, if you, if you want to win the division, you will have to beat Philadelphia at home in, what is that, Christmas Eve, the Christmas Eve game. But you look at this, man. I mean, again, I, I don't know that we buy into the Giants. You already beat them on the road. I, I don't know why you couldn't beat them at home. But coming out of the bye, they're going to play a Packers team that's either going to be three and five or four and five a Packers team that has lost four in a row and has no semblance of offense and anybody to throw to then you got to play what has been a solid Minnesota team at six and one then you get the Giants and then after that you literally play four of the worst teams or three of the worst teams in the NFL with the Colts who suck and are playing Sam Ellinger for the first time in his career as a starter the Texans who are probably the worst team in the NFL and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who still cannot figure out how to get it going, that are currently two and six. I mean, you've got an opportunity here. If you can get past, you should beat Green Bay. I mean, honestly, you're a better team than Green Bay. Going to Minnesota, we'll see. That, that's a tough road game. But man, those next four games, the Giants, the Colts, the Texans, all at home, and then the Jags, there's no reason to think that the Cowboys won't win five out of six coming out of the bye. No, and if you do that, you're, you're positioned in the hunt. And really, dog, that's all you can ask. Is, and that's why I keep saying just stack wins. I'm really still not into style points yet. Um, it's really, for me, it's about stacking wins. And, and if you could do that and get up to 11-3, and three, well, then, you know, then we have to start seeing how you fit into the NFC and how you match up against the best teams in the league in the NFC. But right now, bro, just figure out a way to win. Like uh, like they did last week. Yeah. I mean, like they did against Detroit. Uh, just just figure out a way to win, man. It doesn't always have to be pretty, but just figure out a way to make it happen and get it done, and you'll position yourself for all the things that you want. I mean, you could make a case that having three of your final four on the road is not what you would want, but again, two of those are Jacksonville and Washington. And, and man, looking at the final nine games, Minnesota, okay, I, again, Minnesota's a good football team Philadelphia obviously is a very good football team and then going on the road on a Thursday night to play Tennessee with the way that Derrick Henry has started running again at this point in the season you know those are the three games okay but if all they lose is those three games we're talking about a 12 and 5 football team yeah and you'll take that although that ain't gonna the problem with that is you're not catching Philly you, no right then that's putting you in a wild card spot right and that means you're going to probably have to play three games on the road, and the odds of doing winning three games on the road are, you know, slim.
Yep, they are slim, and that's why. I mean, not that it's mattered since they haven't gotten past the divisional round anyway ever, but it'd be nice to have that divisional playoff game at home. And and obviously, you would hope, I don't know that you can get the one seed, but it hadn't been decided yet. And and in the modern NFL, you want that one seed so you get that first round by. But at the very least, you want to find a way to host a home playoff game. If you have to be a wild card, you want to be at home. And then you take your chances going on the road for the divisional round, and and then your season's over as it always is. Yeah, now if you can figure out a way to do that, you're good. But that's the trick, man. Um, at least one home game. Um, you know, if you can do that, then you can still you can still get what you're trying to do. But trying to get there with three on the road, that is that is hard, man. It is, and and when you look around the NFL, and we've talked about this, the parity of the league this year, the fact there is no dominant team, there's no team that scares you. Yes, Philadelphia right now is the best team in the NFC. They are. I, they don't scare me, and 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 I I like Jalen Hurts. I think he's very very good. I I think that they've got some offensive pieces. You know, they are plus seventy eight in point differential, and they have had some really really solid wins. But they don't. You don't fear Philadelphia. And we kind of talked about this the other day, but really, to me, when you look around the NFC, you don't, I don't know that there's the quarter. Tom Brady has fallen off. Has, has old man age finally caught up to him? We don't know. Aaron Rodgers, obviously, with what he has around him, they are minus 28 in point differential. They've lost four in a row. It is not working for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. As a matter of fact, through eight games, through eight games, the Los Angeles Rams have scored the fewest points, the Commanders the second fewest, Green Bay the third fewest, and the Bucks the fourth fewest in the NFC. So we are talking about, with Matt, with Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady, we are talking about three of the four worst offenses in the NFC. That don't even sound right, does it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's, it makes no sense. Um, no, and so, but see... This this is the way I, I look at things sometimes, man. We'll find out a lot. Yeah, we'll find out a lot about the Cowboys. Um, and this has happened in other years when they play Green Bay. Because like you said, if you just look at the teams and you look at the records and you look at the strengths and you look at the weaknesses, it's a game they should win. Coming off the bye, they should win. You got a week to prepare for them. You should win. And if they go out and do business, take care of them, you go, you know what? This team is who we thought they were. And so, hey, let's see what kind of run they can put together. And if they lose, we'll just look at them and go, eh, I don't know, bro. Uh, maybe they really aren't as good as we thought. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, you, it's... That's the thing with the NFC today is there is just not a dominant team and there is no one in the quarterback position that you're looking at right now that you fear. There is not that, well, we know Tom Brady's going to the Super Bowl. There's not the good luck Aaron Rodgers is going to come back and beat you. You know, I don't know who it is this year. And that's why with Dak and this Cowboys team, I mean, you look at the teams that are at the top. And I don't know how many people realize this. We're halfway through the season, as we all are aware of. Do you realize that of the 16 teams in the NFC, only five of them are above 500? Damn. No, I did not realize it. And so the five that are above 500, the Seattle Seahawks with Geno Smith, the New York Giants with Daniel Jones, the Minnesota Vikings with Kirk Cousins, the Eagles with Jalen Hurts, and the Cowboys with Dak Prescott. Quite honestly, if those are going to be the teams that are fighting for the top of the conference, I'm taking the one led by Dak Prescott. 
Yeah, he's got the, you know, because I, I think Dak, especially if he's comfortable in this situation, he can he can play this style of game and do what he's done the last, you know, the last couple of weeks, especially last week's performance, where again, and we've talked about it before, man, if you can really play a style where you're keeping Dak to 32, 33, 34 yeah. passes a game, bro, you got like a real shot because that's actually when he's at his best. And so if you're built to play that way and you're not turning the ball over and you're making people drive, you're going to position yourself to win a lot of games. Yeah, you are, and that's the thing. And look, Jalen Hurts is having a phenomenal season. I mean, Jalen obviously hadn't been hurt, and Jalen has been playing, I would say right now through seven games that the Eagles have had, Jalen has had the best season of any quarterback in the NFC if he's going to play like this the rest of the way, we're talking about an MVP candidate that, that could take the Eagles to the promised land. But the Cowboys got one of those quarterbacks too, and we saw the rhythm that he got into finally shaking off some of that rust. And that's, I mean, dude, you, you even look at, that's what's so weird about the NFC. I mean, there are five teams that are above 500. There are three teams that are at 500. So half the conference is at 500 or better. And the other three teams that are all sitting at four and four, Atlanta with Marcus Mariota, San Francisco with Jimmy G, and Washington with Carson Wentz or Taylor Heineke. I mean, what are we doing? How are those teams, those eight teams with those quarterbacks, the top eight teams in the NFC halfway through? Bro, that's scary. (laughs) It's weird. It's really weird. Dude. I'm a... You're right. And so Dak fits at the top of that class or certainly in the top of the conversation. Nobody's certainly head and shoulders better than him. And so that should make you feel better because, again, man, with elite defense and elite special teams, you can do a lot of things. And I think Dak is kind of um, I think Dak is enough of a winner that he's just like, let's just get it done, bro. If we can get it done, we get it done. I don't really care how we get it done. Let's just get it done. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, too, because when you look back over at the AFC, you know, obviously Josh Allen and the Bills are leading the way. The Chiefs with the Mahomes are right there. The Ravens with Lamar Jackson. The Dolphins with Tua. The Chargers with Justin Herbert are a game over 500. Joe Burrow is sitting there fighting at 500. I mean, it's, for the most part, the quarterbacks that you kind of buy into in the AFC are the ones that are at the top of the conference. The biggest surprise in the AFC is probably the New York Jets, who are playing at 5-3, and three, and and somehow are finding a way to stay alive, but they host Buffalo this week, and you got to think that they probably dropped to five and four. But man, it's this is one of the wonkier years in the NFL. It feels like that we've had in a while, and that's and we'll get into this when we talk with Chill. But that's one of the frustrations about the deadline having come and gone is when you talk this game and you realize, especially if you're Jerry, who's eighty years old, man, like, look, dude. This might be the best shot that you have in a week. This has got to be, on the whole, the weakest the NFC has been in a long time. I don't think so, but you could go bigger than that, man. You know, some of it is about the conference is only as strong as its quarterbacks. And in its heyday, the best mm-hmm. quarterbacks were over here. So the conference, the best conference was over here. Now the best quarterbacks in the AFC. And so the NFC is what it is because um, the game is driven by the quarterbacks. Um, but in general, you know, how many great teams are there in the NFL? Not a lot. Most of it is kind of uh, average. And so it's are you the best of an average lot? Uh, not very many great teams in the NFL. And so, you know, that, that means there's not a lot of great football, just a lot of close games. 
Yeah, and that's probably the, a lot of the reason why when everybody looked at the NFL this year, everybody looks at those Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, which is why the Bills and the Chiefs were popular Super Bowl picks and teams that people thought could get it done. And is one of the reasons why when you looked at the NFC, it, it, there's been so many different people that have picked a variety of different teams to do something because you could tell that it was wide open. There, I, I think there was a thought that, man, it, it's... You know, if Jalen Hurts develops, the Eagles making that trade, they're going to have a little something. I mean, I don't know that anybody in the world thought the Giants and the Seahawks are going to be doing what they did. Those are up there with the Jets. Those are probably the three most surprising teams in the NFL right now. Oh, I think so. But uh, the Jets are about to pop. I mean, a big part of what they were doing was their running back, who's uh, Brees Hall. Brees Hall, yeah, the rookie. But but now he's out for the year with a torn ACL. And yeah, you can say running backs are replaceable, but that dude was doing that thing. And uh, I think they're going to take a dip. Plus, your quarterback was like ridiculously bad last week. And uh, he was he was so bad. He was the kind of bad where you can, uh, you can lose your, your teammate's support because you're so bad. And they're like, this dude can't play. Like, for real. What are we going to do? And so, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it, though, bro. It is. There are a lot of moving parts, but the reality of it is the Cowboys, and, and if you're a Cowboys fan, you got to feel good and, and somewhat comfortable about where they're at and what's coming up on the schedule. And, and that idea of, once again, and, and you and I have talked about this a million times, if you're going to get into the playoffs and you're going to have that opportunity and you get a game at home, be the team that takes advantage of it. Be the team that actually does something in the postseason with it instead of losing the one playoff game you got. And we're like, oh, wow, okay, first round bye. This is awesome. You're the one seed. Oh, cool. It's the divisional round. Then we're done again. Yeah. Uh, and that's, to me, <laughs> why they should have acquired a receiver, bro. Because it's wide open. It's a chance to win. And you don't want to lose in the first round. And if you lose this year, you're going to be losing, I would bet, because of offense, not because of defense. Maybe that's been the case in the past, but this year you have that. And so you needed to bulk up your offense and they just didn't do it, bro. They did not. And now you would have to think because Odell Beckham Jr. is out there and he's one of those guys that, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to think about it, but again, you look at it. We know that the Cowboys have dry powder. We, we know that, I mean, if, even if you sign this guy to a little bit more than you would think that he's worth coming off an ACL and a dude that turns 30 years old this weekend, still, I mean, a prorated contract, you've got the money for it. You can easily fit him under the cap. You just sign him on a one-year deal and, and, and see if you can add him and do what the Rams did with them last year. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense, especially if um, he'll go for that. Like, I don't know why he wouldn't. He's not really in a bargaining position right now, given that he's coming off those uh, those ACLs and he hadn't played a lot of football the last two years. Uh, and to me, he'd be a guy who would help you. You're not getting the old Beckham, Odell Beckham Jr. from like six or seven years ago. No, no. You're getting a guy who can play in big games, who can still catch the ball, and who, on a given day, can still make it happen. I think that's what you're what you're hoping for. Yeah, and this is a guy, again, keep in mind, when he went to the Rams last year towards the end of the year, he played in eight games with the Rams. He had 27 catches for 305 yards. So we're talking about a guy last year with the Rams in limited, limited action was averaging three or four catches a game for 38, 40 yards a game. But it's still, it gives you depth at the position of a guy who's been around the league for a while. But to your point, this is a dude who is well-removed 
well removed from his days of dominance. And quite honestly, he hasn't been the same since his first three years with the Giants. He he had a couple of decent years. You know, that last year in New York, he had 1,000 yards. The year after that, his first year in Cleveland, he barely cracked 1,000 yards. But this has not been that, oh, my God, this is like dominant Odell Beckham Jr. in a long time. Like, see, I like to put it to this kind of test, bro. I, I think you just looked at it. But when's the last time Odell Beckham had what you would call a dominant season? A dominant season? I would say you got to go back to 2016. Yeah, now think about how long ago that is. Yeah, that's a long time. You know, his his last year in New York, he only played in 12 games. He averaged six catches and 88 yards a game. I mean, you take that now in Dallas immediately. But that's it. So the last four full seasons, you're talking about a guy, see who else this reminds you of, and you'll think of Zeke. His first season in Cleveland, he had five for 65 a game. His second year in Cleveland, three for 46 a game. Then that next year in Cleveland, with just Cleveland, three for 38, which is basically what he had with the Rams, too. So the last three years of football, we're talking about a guy who is getting it less and doing less with it when he gets it. Yeah. So he's not that that first guy. He was all pro his first three years. He hadn't sniffed any kind of award since 2017. And again, just think about how long that is. I mean, it's like five, six seasons. And in an NFL, an average NFL career is only like three years. That's like two NFL careers. And so, you know, he hasn't really been a dynamic player in a long time. He doesn't, but if that's what's out there, uh, to me, with what you've got on this roster, you could do worse than bringing in a guy like that who you don't need to be a one receiver for. He doesn't have to be the number one guy. Right. But we'll see. come in and fit in. We'll see what the Cowboys do, man. I, I don't know if they'll do that or not. After Jerry told us that they'd do whatever it took. <laughs> well, here's the deal, and I, I get it, but see, part of me wonders, and I don't know the answer to this, but it fits the Cowboys' M.O. Did you start negotiating too late, thinking deadlines mm-hmm. make deals? Because the only... Um, you know, I just read something somewhere that said, you know, the problem with the Texans is... Nobody and and I get this because this is how NFL teams work. Nobody's going to trade a second and a fourth for Brandon Cooks and pay the eighteen million dollar freight. Right, you got to take one or the other. Either get his contract off your books or do something with his deal so that we'll pay you the picks, but you handle the contract. Um, and apparently they they declined to do that. Um, you know, and I'm interested in Brandon Cooks because uh, I just read something else that said he's not playing this week. Because uh, the Texans don't think he's in a headspace to play because right. of practice and all this other stuff, and you just wonder if uh, they get they get fed up enough to cut him. Yeah, you wonder that, and obviously that would piss him off. You would think, or maybe it wouldn't. But the thing of it is, man, it, if they cut him, it's a thirty-four million dollar dead cap for next year. Oh my, that's a big number now. Yeah, now outside, and that was the thing about his contract. He'll be 30 years old next year. He's got a $26.6 million cap hit for next year, $18 million guaranteed. And if he's not with Houston next year, it's a $34 million dead cap if they were to just cut him. That final year of his deal, 2024, they can get out of that for just $8 million in dead cap. Yeah, I just... And who knows? Maybe Houston's like, whatever, we're going to suck for the next couple of years anyway. Get rid of this dude and eat it. I don't know. But, man, it that's, that is a hit right there. 
Yeah, it is. That is a huge dead cap number to eat on basically the only wide receiver that your team has right now. <laughs> yeah. So I, he I, but he I, ain't doing you no good. No, he's not. I don't know. It, that's an interesting situation to follow, and Houston has done dumber things than that. So we'll see how it plays out. We got to take this trip around the block. Before we do that, I hope that you've gotten a chance to put in your order for Bruce Biltong. Biltong? What is Biltong? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's light beef jerky. It's a traditional South African air-dried beef. It is better than beef jerky. It is more savory. It is more tender. And you can order it in a variety of sizes. They have snack bags, which we like to get because those are the ones with the 230 calories and the 30 grams of protein. But man, beef, this is like what you, when somebody first says, oh, you like beef? Do you like jerky and all that? You're like, oh yeah, this is going to be amazing. And then you chew it. You're like, I don't know if I want this ever again. Biltong is what you always wanted beef jerky to be. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah, because number one, it doesn't get stuck in your teeth. Number two, it's kind of a succulent, savory treat. Number three, as Matt told, just got all that protein, a few calories. It's a great midday snack. Um, and it's sensational. It's, I think that's the perfect way to put it, bro. It's everything you wish beef jerky was and more. It is. That's I mean, and I'm telling you, man, it, it is one of those things. Once you try it, I think you'll find yourself like me always wanting to have a bag around to snack on at the house. And the cool thing is we're the only podcast that this company has ever worked with. The only one that they do stuff with bruise Biltong, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. Go to bruisebiltong.com and order whatever you want. Whatever you get, it's 15% off with the promo code JAM15 at checkout. J-A-M-15. Also, of course, the podcast made possible by our friends, JR, his crew over there at Freeway Tire Shop. As Jacques knows, no matter what you need, the simple stuff like an oil change or the heavier mechanic work, you got to go to freeway because once you go there, you'll never go anywhere else because you found them. You found the mechanic you can trust. Dude, that's why y'all need to head right down 35, about five miles north of downtown. You take the Commonwealth exit JR's right there through the light on the right-hand side. You can thank us later. Seriously. I take all my cars there for a variety of things. I've had a new engine put in a car, an inspection, an oil change, all of that, brakes, whatever can be done to a car, damn near, I've had it done to JR. And I've been thrilled with the work each and every time. And here's why. Number one, you can trust him to diagnose whatever's wrong with your car. Number two, you can trust him to use quality parts to fix that thing. Number three, he always charges a fair price. You can trust him to do that. And then number four, man, you can trust him to stand behind his work. Because we all know everybody does not do that. And that's why you need to rock with JR. And uh, like I said, thank us later. Yeah, man, that's the truth. You right now can jump online and you can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote. Experience Freeway Tire Shop for yourself and find out what we're talking about. It's freewaytireshop.com. So we got to take this trip around the block. And as we approach, well, it is the beginning of November. So I've got two months left. And I just finished my 45th book of the year today. Wow. So I am pacing, and I didn't know. I thought, you know, when when the year started out, I thought, no, I'll beat last year's number. And then I thought, well, once I started to get onto a pace early in the year, I was like, man, I wonder if I could get 50. And now, like a while back, I was like, I'm just going to do 52. One book a week for an entire year. Wow. And I got to tell you, and I, I know that you were never a Friends guy, the TV show Friends. 
Yeah, not enough black people. Yeah, and one of the guys that was on that show, Matthew Perry, who played the character Chandler Bing, he just released his memoir, and I have to tell you, I read that book in two days. I heard it was uh, just from some things I've seen on Twitter. I heard it was like, wow, really? It, it is riveting. It, it is. It, the name of it is Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. For those that don't know, Matthew Perry struggled with a level of addiction for his entire life until probably the last year or so, according to the book. I mean, he lit like the first sentence in the book is like, hi, my name is Matthew Perry. A lot of you probably know me as Chandler being from friends. My friends call me Maddie and I should be dead. Well, damn. And from there, it, it's not even like a, if you're expecting, like if you're a fan of friends and you're expecting to read about all this behind the scenes stuff about friends, there's a little bit of that in there, but this is more so a journey through a battle with addiction that will blow your mind that is like if you struggle with addiction or you have a friend that is struggling with addiction, this might be a book that you should get for them. Let me tell you something, bro. That is the only way to write a memoir. If you're going to write it. And I'm not talking about just addiction. I'm talking about any famous person that writes one. If you if you choose to write one, then go ahead and be authentic with it and tell whatever your real story is. Because otherwise you're just wasting people's time by giving them the candy front, um, you know, you playing as Dion would say sometimes, you're playing trick or treat. You're just giving people what, what you want them to see. But if you're going to write a memoir and you really want to write one and tell people about your life for whatever reason, then this is the way to do it. It's be raw, be authentic, put it all out there and remove it from yourself and, uh, you know, give people something to learn from and to grow from your story, your pain, your anguish. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's riveting. I mean, I couldn't put it down because I, I couldn't believe how this guy is alive. And you're talking about a guy, I mean, he flat out says in the book, all he wanted to do was be famous. And he, he is identified now because he has spent millions and millions of dollars on rehab. I think, I can't remember how many times he says he's been to like one of those nice rehab places. It's at least 15 times. And Damn. I mean, I'm telling you, man, I mean, th this is a guy who has battled this and battled this and battled this. He was addicted. He was a drunk. He was an alcoholic. He was addicted to pain pills and addicted to smoking. And it's insane. It got so bad. There's a point where he talks about how he was taking 55 pills of Vicodin or Oxycontin a day. Jeez. 55 pills. He tells a story that, you know, he was like, you can't find people who will prescribe you that much medication. So you get what you can for the doctor. So you fake that you're in pain and you need these pills. Then you try and find somebody who will sell you pills. He said it got so bad for him that he used to drive around for open houses in Malibu. And they'd be like, oh, it's Matthew Perry, the actor. And he'd go to these open houses and pretend that he was looking for a new home for himself and go into the people's bathroom and go into their medicine cabinet and see if they had any pills. Jeez. I mean, think, this is an like an A-list actor that played on one of the most well-known television shows of all time going into open houses to go through medicine cabinets for pills. Man. And then, of course... That's a, that's a sad thing. I mean, dude, it, it's... He talks about, like, how many women that he had been with that that he just ended up breaking up with, or he, he no matter what they... Like, he was with Julia Roberts, the actress, said that they had a phenomenal relationship, and she was awesome, and he couldn't handle it with her and, and went off the deep end with alcohol and stuff. I mean, it is... The stories that he tells, they just, 
it's it's incredible. I, and so apparently he started to get sober when his colon exploded and he almost died. Well, that'll do it to you. Because he hadn't taken, he hadn't gone to the bathroom in like nine days or something. And oh he, my God. He said he was in excruciating pain and they rushed him to the hospital. His colon exploded and he passed out. And when he woke up, he had been in a coma for two weeks and placed on a machine that they said, he says something like 2% of people, when they have to place you on this machine, 2% of people survive. I, I should be dead. It's like, I don't know why I'm here. I mean, it's just a riveting story. And again, like if you have ever struggled with addiction or, or have a friend or something, really that's what this story is about. And he talks about all his career through friends and all these movies and the people he met and stuff, but it's all told through the eyes of a guy who was drunk or high or what have you when he was going through all of this. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story, man. Jeez, that's... Wow. I mean, the amount of alcohol and drugs that this dude could ingest and not be dead is, and he apparently at one point was taking 180 milligrams of Oxycontin a day, and he was over in Sweden doing something, and over there, they don't have the same laws we do, so he was like, yeah, I was getting up to where I was getting prescribed this. Well, I had to go back to the States. He books a private jet to take him back for $175,000, gets to L.A., finds out that the doctors there can't legally prescribe more than like 10 milligrams a day or whatever. And he right. gets so pissed off. He, he gets right back on the plane, pays $175,000 to go back to Sweden so he can still get the pills. Jeez. I mean, it's, I mean, that's insane, bro. It is. And, and it, it is, it's a wild story. I mean, it, it's just a wild story and was riveting. And I mean, I, I did, I, I, I read the whole thing in two days. It's about 300 pages. So not crazy, but man, I just couldn't put it down. And and now you see somebody who he he describes this towards the end. He has finally gotten sober and finally has felt that weight lifted on him. And just he finds a lot of joy in helping other addicts and helping. He's like describes like one of the things that brings him the greatest joy is seeing the light in somebody's face. That's an addict when you can see that you've helped them and that sobriety is possible for them and stuff, which it's it's a it's a really fascinating read, man. Yeah, I'm telling you. Get it. I'm telling you, man. It is. Yeah, because and again, like you don't have to know him from friends. Like the the friends thing. So what? Like that's he talks about it. He talks about and it's it's fascinating because I didn't realize this. He says if you saw me on Friends and I was thin, then I was doing drugs. When I was heavier, I was drunk, and if I had a goatee, I was doing both of them. Jeez. He said the only season of Friends that he was sober the entire season was season nine. And he said, oddly enough, that's also the only season I was ever nominated for an Emmy for. Damn. I'm like, man, dude, this guy. I mean, woo. Well, how old is he? He is 53 now, I believe. All right. Well, here's what I hope. Uh, I hope he gets some peace. Not because he's been through hell. So I yeah. hope he's, he gets some peace. And then, man, I hope he gets enough years that he can enjoy the peace. Yeah. Like, I hope that he hasn't damaged his body so much with all this stuff that like two years from now, you know, it collapses on him and he's gone. You know, I hope that because he's spent all this time searching, grasping, hoping he could find peace. Now that he's got it, I really hope that, that he can enjoy it, man. Yeah. And, and, and I do too. And I think like at the, by the end of the book, I mean, you kind of get the, the sense that he's at that point now. And, you know, this is really like this book is making amends to people that maybe he couldn't directly make amends to. I mean, he's gone through that process and he, he talked about how he called all these people and truly apologized to them. And 
I mean, hell, there are people in the book that he's like, you know, I didn't get a hold of you, but if you're reading this, I'm truly sorry and that type of thing. I mean, it is, it's an interesting read for anybody, again, with addiction or knows anything about addiction or wants to understand it a little bit better. You'll see it, man, because you, you read this and you're sitting there going, how in, you have a colostomy bag attached to you and you're checking yourself out of the hospital to go get pain pills that are the reason why you have a colostomy bag? What are you doing? I needed it that much, baby. Yeah, man. I mean, it is, it is, what? So, yeah, something to do. I mean, it's a read, I'll tell you that. So, and by the way, I think next week, I think my, I'm probably going to read another book in between now and next Tuesday because I have a few days, but the the new, I believe it's the new Harry Bosch comes out next Tuesday. It's either that or it's the new Jack Reacher. Really? Yeah, but one of those books in the series that I really, really like comes out next Tuesday. So I'm stoked about it. And I'll read that super quick. So who knows? Maybe I'll surpass 52 books. <laughs> Maybe so. I haven't, uh, let me see. I haven't read, uh, I haven't read a Bosch book in a minute. Uh, my, my life kind of got busy in a different sort of way. And so I wasn't in the car as much. And so, and then I started reading. I've read a lot of books this year, but then I started reading for, um, What's the word I'm looking for? I started reading to educate myself on some things. And so yeah. then I wasn't, I wasn't reading as much about, uh, about just for pure pleasure. Yeah, I got you. I got into, I think I mentioned this. I started reading some of those Bill O'Reilly killing series books. Like I read the legends. Right. And then after that, I, I'm trying to think what was the one I read after that? I, I believe it was, uh, what's it called? Killing England which is the story of the Revolutionary War and the beginnings of America. And that was fascinating, man. I couldn't believe how quick I read that one. I was like, holy crap, there's some good stuff in this. You know, and the funny thing is, like a history book like that, like Bill O'Reilly and the guy that he writes these books with, they have so many footnotes. You can read the footnotes, and it's almost like a whole separate book. (laughs) Damn. Yeah, you know, because I don't want to get into all that because it'd make the book like crazy long. I'm like, well, you should have just put it in there because I'm reading all these footnotes anyway, and all the footnotes are fascinating. So that's a pretty good one there. But yeah, it is. It's the it's the next Michael Connolly book comes out next Tuesday. It's called Desert Star, which is the next. It's technically Renee Ballard and her series, but it's Renee and Harry working together to what? hunt the killer who is Bosch's white whale. Damn. Cannot wait that? for that one on Tuesday. So I'll be looking forward to that. The other thing I wanted to throw out here for you is we're all, we all know who Bucky's is. I mean, Bucky's. There's Bucky's all over Texas somehow. And I've said this before. I happen to live closer to a Bucky's here in Alabama than I ever did in Texas because there's one less than 10 minutes away from me. Right. But I bring up Bucky's because I don't know how many people are aware of this, but they had opened one in Tennessee that is currently the world's largest Bucky's. It is 74,000 square feet. Now, obviously, you can't have something like Bucky's and have the largest one ever to be in Tennessee. So they have righted the wrong and they have broken ground or they will be breaking ground this month on the new largest Bucky's ever. It'll be in Luling, which is for those of you that don't know, man, it, it's it's gosh, what, like 45 minutes outside of Austin, I guess. Right. But it's going to be a 75,000 square foot Bucky's that will now be the largest in the world coming to Luling that is scheduled to operate sometime in 2023. It will have 120 fueling stations and thousands of drink options. 
thousand that's what it says man so i you know i'm, I'm just glad it's back in in texas because look texas needs to have the biggest buckies ever <laughs> and apparently this is interesting because I, I, I mean obviously i know there's one in alabama because i live right by it there's right. also bucky centers in georgia kentucky and they have plans where they will expand into colorado and missouri as well Damn, they're they they are truly blowing up. Man, they are blowing up, and I I don't mind it. I'm here for it. We go to Bucky's all the time. Oh, all right. Get yourself some ghost jerky. Yeah, well, it's that, but more so, it's because of the gas, man. Like when you live this close to a Bucky's, there's no yeah. reason not to go over there and get gas because it's the cheapest gas in the area. Oh, see, I didn't know. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why they are so large because they make they are notorious for having the lowest gas. And they basically are selling gas as cheap as they can because they profit so much on the other stuff that they're selling, which is why they have all the other crap in there. Yeah, all right. Which is why a lot of the times, like if a Bucky's is built in the area, if there's a gas station anywhere near there, they close down because they can't drop their gas that low. Well, they could. They just choose not to. They, right. It'd, it'd be difficult for them because they don't have all the other stuff that Bucky's is making money on. Right. I got you. Yeah. So. Before we switch gears here, I wanted to ask you, before we get the chill, this happened, and, and we won't know the result, and you guys that are listening to us, who knows? Maybe the Astros are up three games to two. Maybe the Phillies are, whatever. But the Houston Astros threw a combined no-hitter in the World Series in Game 4, only the third time in history that a no-hitter has been thrown in the postseason. And obviously, this the second time in the World Series, the first time ever the perfect game that Don Larson had in 56 – what do you make of the combined no-hitter? Bro, I fell asleep on it, and I just wasn't that excited while it was going on. I don't know why. Uh, I mean, it's great for them. I, I don't know, man. I've tried to watch the World Series and get into baseball, but I'm just like, Bleh. Well, you know, like for me, like a no-hitter by one person is one thing. The combined no hitter, I, I've just, I've always looked at that, and this has nothing to do with the Astros. Oh, you just hate the Astros. Right. It, it could have been the Rangers that threw the combined no hitter. Right. Like to me, I, I get it, nobody got a hit, but also you didn't have, like, a no hitter is one pitcher going through the lineup three times. And as we all know, the most difficult time is that third time through the lineup when you, as the game goes on and you still have to, to have your stuff, and those hitters are seeing you for a third time. The combined no-hitter, I mean, some most of those pitchers, they only saw him once. That might have been why I felt the way I felt. Like, just kind of like, meh. It didn't feel like um, you expected, you know, because no-hitter is about dominance, man. Yeah. Control, you can't touch me, whether it's strikeouts or just, you know, it's, it's 87 pitches because you just can't hit my stuff. But instead, I don't know. I just wasn't all that excited about it. it. To me, the Astros didn't even look all that excited about it. They are like, we got to win. That's great. But I don't think they were all that excited about the no-hitter per se. Yeah, and I think that's fair, man. And that's one of those, because we've seen combined no-hitters in Major League Baseball before. And every time there's, oh, this team threw a combined no-hitter. I'm like, I mean, yeah, but all those guys only faced each of those pitchers once. I, I don't, that's not nearly as impressive and I don't know. I mean, it's a no-hitter. I just feel like there's got to be, like, some sort of different category or we call it something. I don't know, man. Right. I've just always thought that was weird. It was like, I remember, I want to say it was Andy Hawkins for the Yankees, like, in the, eight, in the late 80s or early 90s that threw a no-hitter, but he lost, and then they changed it to where you can't have a no-hitter if you lose. 
which I was like, I mean, it's still a no hitter, but it's not a perfect game. And I forget what, like, there's a couple of errors and he hit a guy and whatnot and walked a couple dudes. So the other team ended up scoring a couple of runs, but he didn't give up any hits. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of weird like that. Yeah. I was just curious because I saw that last night and I was like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. But before we roll into chill, let's tell you, if we may, about Smokey John's Barbecue, that jam session bowl, man. I hope you guys have had a chance to try it. We told you about this the other day, how delicious this thing is. They created a menu item for you, for you who listen to the podcast. You, if you don't listen to the podcast, you never in a million years can order this because you don't know it exists, which is awesome. And as Jacques has had a million times, it feels like, and I haven't had it as often because I don't live in the area anymore, but I can tell you this, when I'm there for Christmas and I'll have some time, I have a little man who I'm, I'm going to, we're going to go to Smokey John's barbecue. I'm taking Maddox and I'm like, all right, dude, let's knock this thing out. Go. <laughs> that sounds great. And what it is, is the jam session bowl, man. You get a base of either mac and cheese or mashed potatoes. Either one of them is really fantastic. Uh, your choice of two out of five smoked meats. I usually rock with the sausage and the brisket. And then, man, they put all the stuff you'd find on a loaded baked potato from chives, sour cream, butter, bacon bits. And, dude, they drizzle it with their barbecue sauce, and it is to die for. It is. It's fantastic. It's Smokey John's Barbecue right there off Mockingbird, just north of downtown Dallas, in between 35 and Lovefield Airport. Family owned for like 46 years, man. The brothers that own it, Brent and Juan, just such, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Support them because they support us. And the food's really, really good. And if you don't live in the area like me, jump on SmokeyJohns.com and click on Smokey's Market and you can order the sauce or the rub and have that for yourself at home. Hey, you can also find the rub at the H-E-B in Plano and the H-E-B in Frisco these days. These boys are blowing up. So make that happen. If you're a Plano Frisco listener, swing by H-E-B and grab yourself a bottle. It's delicious. Maybe, maybe you'll be like me and you'll drink it straight from the bottle. Hell yeah. It is time. Let's check in with longtime Cowboys beat writer for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Clarence Hill Jr. joining us here. And chill. Cowboys, the trade deadline has passed as they get ready to enter their bye week. Were, were you surprised they couldn't find a way to make a move to bolster the wide receiver situation? Surprised? The Cowboys? <laughs> we like our guys, Cowboys? Surprised? I mean, you know, we fell for a hook, line, and sinker again. Jerry, he told me exclusively, I'm ready to risk cap room. I'm ready to risk draft picks. I'm ready to go for it. We ate the cheese, whatever you want to cut. We got got. Because at the end of the day, it came out of money and not wanting to risk all of that and do all those things that Jerry said he was willing to do when it came to Brandon Cook or whoever else that they were talking to. You know, and I and I understand. I wouldn't guarantee you Brandon Cook $18 million. But that's what the man said. He said he was willing to do whatever to get a difference maker. And if Brandon Cook was, was that type of difference maker, then – do whatever you can to get the team over the top. And that was the goal. That was the focus. But surprise, no. I mean, the Cowboys, they like their guys. And you know, maybe this thing is not over. I mean, Odo Beckham is still out there. Maybe the Texans are going to cut Brandon Cook if they say they're not. Uh, and I don't know why he wanted to get cut because he's guaranteed $18 million next year on the current contract. I, I, you know, getting, you get cut, you don't get that $18 million guarantee. But, you know, they could still maybe add something down the road. But, this team is wide open. It is wide open as it's been in a long time 
uh, NFC to get to the Super Bowl. You can say what you want about the Eagles. They're the best team. They've been playing the best. But they're no, they're no boogeyman that you should be afraid of. And I think the next, it's between the Cowboys, 49ers, and the Vikings. Those are the legitimate contenders. And, and why not the Cowboys? No, it was um, like, it, you know, the whole salary cap thing didn't make sense to me because you go, hey, Jerry, if, if you could pay $18 million for an NFC Championship game or Super Bowl appearance, would you do it? Well, hell yeah, he'd do it. As you said, it's wide open. You're dangerously thin at receiver, and you're kind of above average, but you're not what you were at receiver. And it's not like Brandon Cooks is a great player, but Brandon Cooks is a really good player who's had 1,000-yard seasons with four different teams, which tells you he can come in, fit into an offense, and then go make it happen. And if you add him to a group that's already solid, now you've become good and you can withstand an injury. So um, it's kind of a wasted opportunity. But let me ask you this. Are you intrigued at all with Odell Beckham Jr.? Because that's the kind of guy they might go acquire. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. I mean, well, from my understanding, Odell still wants big money. He still thinks he's supposed to get Odell money. Dude, you're coming off the ACL. The season's halfway over. You're not finna to get major money. You need to come in somewhere and show uh, that you're healthy so you can get big money in the offseason when you're a free agent. And, you know, I, I think that that's part of it. It's talking about people who talk to Odell and, and everywhere else. But, you know, I think they're going to be suitors for Odell. I don't think it's going to be just a cakewalk for the Cowboys. It's a one-on-one competition, which is also ultimately drive the price of. The question is, do you want Odell, that personality, in your locker room? You know, with this brotherhood and everything you got going, are you willing to risk that? Or your, is your locker room strong enough to handle that as you make this play for the Super Bowl? But I think that there's going to be some interest there, especially as we see come out to buy, you know, how they look. How, what happens with James Washington comes back? You know, you know, is Michael Gallup, you know, what you're going to get from there? You know, we're still waiting for the disappointing rookie third-round pick, Jalen Tober. You, you need help at receiver. You know, and, and, and whether it's Odell or whether it's Brandon Cooks, those guys have something you don't have with the speed on the outside. You, know, you, you need that deep threat, you know, and Odell is a proven playmaker. So uh, I think it's something to bear watching, uh, you know, for the Cowboys as, as Odell gets ready to return whenever that comes the next month or so. Uh, it, it's certainly something they must look at. You mentioned, Jill, and Jacques and I have talked about this multiple times, that there's no team in the NFC that anybody fears. But where where do you put the Cowboys heading into the bye at six and two halfway through the season? Essentially, where do you put them in whatever the hierarchy is of the current NFC? I mean, I think they're the second best team. I think San Francisco's on the come as a team to fear, especially as you know as they get with their defense and getting you know McCaffrey in, involved in, in that offense. You know, and, and the Cowboys' biggest weakness is stopping the run, but. You know, it's, it's, it's the Eagles have played the best. Obviously, the Vikings, I, I guess, have the second best record. I really don't. It's still Kirk Cousins, the Vikings, and me. I, I think the Cowboys are the second best team, especially as they go, you know, you know, get better and start, you know, get some more comfortability and chemistry with Dak and, and his guys back in the lineup. But it's right there. It's those teams. It's, you know, and, and I don't, Carolina don't scare you. Don't worry about Brett, I mean, not Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, you know, they're done. Tampa Bay, I, I just don't know. What, what's going on there, but, but, you know, you don't really worry about them as far as right now, obviously two months left in the season, anything can happen. Everybody can, you know, catch fire, but there's clearly a, a hierarchy. I mean, the Giants are 62, but the Cowboys beat the Giants by double digits on the road. You know, they, they won, but I mean, the Giants aren't anything that, you know, a team that, that scares you at all. 
they're better than what we thought they would be. But it's 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 the Vikings, it's the Eagles, the Cowboys, and it's the Forty Niners. And and I guess I, and I'm leaving out Seattle, but but come on, man. <laughs> what you mean, come on, man? The best thing the Seattle has done is they've won. If they look good in any game, they look like ooh, that that Seattle team. That, that's the Legion of Doom, the Boom, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's, you know, and, and and listen, the quarterback one of the great stories in football. You know, and then the way he's come back after being, you know, basically, you know, left for dead as far as the NFL quarterback, and the way he's come back and, and led them to wins after the the Russell Wilson trade. But I mean, even Seattle didn't think they were going to win this year. If you look at some of the moves they've made before the season, they thought it's going to be a rebuilding year. How do you look at this team going into the bye in terms of where they need to improve if they're going to be a real contender? Well, I mean, I, I think that we, we've all said they need to improve, you know, at receiver. But but the good news about this team, uh, and and I would say that they were 62 last year. They're 62 this year. Last year is not this year. And both 62 seasons are not created equal. Number one, they were 62 last year going to the bye, led by an offense that was number one in scoring and number three in yards and Jack Prescott's MVP, but they were coming off a eye-opening blowout loss to Denver, which they put the blueprint out on this team. Uh, this year, they're six and two, led by a defense coming off a big win when the offense finally started showing up and getting things done, and, and just giving you hope. You going into a bye with a chance to to get better on offense, and again, I think that. 62 led by a defense is more sustainable than 62 led by that offense. There's no blueprint for Michael Parsons. How about that? There's no you know scheme that's going to stop what Michael Parsons does and what he opens up to everybody else. And so this 62 led by a defense and improving and developing offense is more sustainable. That should give you, that should have the Cowboys feeling good about the second half of the season. Then you got you know James Washington coming back. You got Dak. Really, he's only played three football games. This offense is, is, is going to continue to get better with their real quarterback in there. Uh, Zeke is going to be healthy and get back after sitting out the Bears game. You got Tyron Smith coming back. It's a good problem to have eight-time pro bowler who's been sidelined since the start of the season. He's been playing with, you know, rookie at, at, at the left tackle, and now you have to decide, hey, did we put our eight-time pro bowler back in and kick the first-round pick down inside the guard? What do we do? Good problem to have. You know, for Cowboys, they go to playoffs, and you really don't, you know, you know what injuries are going to come up. Um, so the Cowboys should feel good about what they are. They have a chance of getting healthy. They have a chance to get better. The bye came at the right time for the right smack dab in the middle of the season for them to have this bye and hopefully make a run to the playoffs. So it, it, I think it's all set up. I mean, you know, in the past, the Cowboys had good teams. There was always this big, bad wolf out there. There was always, you know, well, you got Aaron Rodgers. In the back of them, they can't be there in the playoffs. And you got Tom Brady, and you got you know these super teams out there that you know. And the Cowboys, well, you know, can can they get past those guys? There's not one of them out there. There's no big bad whoop out there. Chill, you had an interesting article in the Star Telegram today about Kelvin Joseph and the fact that for the first time ever, he finally decided to, I guess, chat with the media. It it it. What did you make of that? Because it seemed like, at least from the article, it's a guy that is a failed second-round pick but has shown up as a special team star now. But everything that happened in the offseason kind of got pushed under the rug, and now he refuses to answer any of the questions about it. It's 
kind of take us behind that a little bit and what your thoughts of that situation were in that conversation with him. Like I said, I'm old school. You know, and I, and, and Jack knows, and we've been around here for real controversy, real issues, okay? Going back to the 90s Cowboys, you know, and and it's, it's a tired trope of players who love to hear from you when, when they score a touchdown, something good happens, they get drafted, they make sign a big contract. But when things bad happen, you know, they, they're running, they're cowering, they want to talk to me, the big bad media. You know, you, you run through a wall and run into a, a six five to a two and nine pound player, but you're scared of a little five eight media person putting a microphone in your place. <laughs> and you say this. None of it makes sense to me. But one of the best things that Michael Irvin did during his career is he often got in trouble. But when he got in trouble, he looked in that camera and said, I'm sorry. And people forgave him. You know, that's one of the reasons why he's on TV now. He was always, he got, he went through a lot of stuff during his graduate career, but he always looked in the camera, didn't hide from, you know, his penance or accountability. And he said, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try. I made a mistake. And I understand, okay, we can talk about we're going, but there's a lot of stuff here with Kelvin Joseph in the situation. You're not, your friends, you're in the car, you're with friends who basically murder a dude in a drive-by shoot. Okay, over what? Because we were in the elevator and, and somebody didn't like the way somebody looked or whatever else. You, got hold, you already got that issue. You don't tell anybody about this murder that your friends committed that you said you didn't commit. You were just in the car, but they were shooting the gun while you were in the car. You don't talk to anybody for a month. So this mom, this family, this black family don't know what happened to her kid. You are compelled to come forward because of your jewelry. And when the surveillance video comes out, you know the vibe. He doesn't, you know, they, they say, well, you're going to get arrested. You have to, you know, sit through your friends. And so he finally is compelled to talk to avoid getting arrested. And his friends get arrested. Uh, Dallas Police Department said that they believe you don't have nothing, you know, no involvement that you police didn't shoot, but you were in the car, but you didn't shoot anybody. And you have now, you're allowed to continue on with your career. Certainly the NFL is investigating and you could get, you know, suspended or, or some type of punishment through the personal conduct policy, but you've gone back to continue on with your career. All we ask is, Show some remorse. Can you not say something to the family about I'm sorry about the situation? Is that too much to ask? It's like we're just supposed to talk about football? The Cowboys protected him and coddled him in training camp every day, would not let him talk. Now the season has come on. You've done a good job as a special teams guy, even though you were drafted in the second round, to be a starter and replace Anthony Brown, the left cornerback, and you have not made a play on the ball yet. But we're supposed to talk about special teams? And not even answer one question. Not you're not supposed to answer one question. I don't care what your lawyers told you, lawyers or, or whoever. You can at least say, "I'm," you know, I, I, "I've learned a lesson. I've put myself in a bad situation. Be people I hang around with. All of this stuff is all out there to be. You know, you can talk to without quote unquote getting yourself in trouble legally if, if that's what you're trying to avoid." Just show some humanity. What was his demeanor while he was talking? Well, I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking. I'm, here, I'm only here to talk football. You know, he was asked, Cowboy asked, do you have anything to say to the family? No. Really? You can't say nothing to the family? So that was my argument. 
you know, whoop the damn do. You 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 making plays on some other things, but you're showing no humanity. And some people don't like it, you know. Some people call me Uncle Tom. I got a weird text message because I didn't stand up for the brother. Another brother got killed. Well, I thought, man, I, I, it was a powerful article, I thought, and, and especially the way you ended it. No remorse, no empathy, no humanity. So disappointing still. I, I can write a little bit. <laughs> I enjoyed it, man. I, I, I thought it was a really good article. I thought it was, in, I, it was powerful, I thought. So I enjoyed that. All right, Joe. We appreciate it, man. We'll let you get back to hanging out with your dad. Yeah, that was him confident. That old man cough in the background. You know, you know, you know that eighty-year-old cough might well, come from the, the bosom. Yeah, the powerful ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, man. If you guys get a chance to read that article that he wrote, you got to check it out. It's it's there in the Fort Worth Star Telegram. It, it it was in. You know, however you, you do it, whether you get the paper or online, I, I read it earlier today and I was just like, man, I was reading that. I was like, well, damn, like I didn't, I mean, I, I don't think about Kelvin Joseph, so it doesn't cross my mind that he had given zero interviews and the, the whole fact that he hadn't spoken to the media all season long. And finally they realized that he was, he was threatened apparently that they were going to report him for not fulfilling his media responsibilities. Then he decides to do a conference call. Yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've. I've never been a big fan of that in general about, uh, oh, I'm going to turn you into the league because you didn't talk. Because normally yeah. when that situation, guys don't say anything worth saying anyway, uh, becomes more of a matter of protocol than anything. But uh, that's why I asked about his demeanor, man. Like, he's just never seemed like a uh, – now, I don't know him, and I've really – I've never spoken to him. Uh, but just from everything you read and the people I know who do know him within the organization – uh, you know, man, he's just never seemed like a good dude. And so I don't I have very little tolerance and patience. Like I'm in my role, I'm the kind of guy who when you say, hey, I'm only here to talk about football, there ain't shit for us to talk about then. Yeah. <laughs> like they should have all just been like, We don't care about your special teams, though. Cause the reason you're only talking now, you know, you should have addressed this back then. It's a one day for you, it's the one day I, I've spoken about it. You, you keep it moving. But you basically hid for six months, so you know, we ain't got nothing to say to you now. Yeah, that's – and what do you think it is about him? I mean, it, he's a second-round pick, and is that what it is? They, they don't want to just throw away a second-round pick because of the draft – the value of the draft capital because he's not doing anything at the position they drafted him for. Well, I don't expect him to be on the team next year. I mean, this is only his, what, second year? Yeah, so, yeah. You know, you give him two full years. Maybe if he has a tremendous offseason, uh, you take him to camp. But if he doesn't make any plays in camp, then see, my problem is, like, what special teams plays has he made? Like, I don't know. I don't he, know either. I, I don't recall seeing him doing – like, I literally don't I – mean, if you told me he wasn't on the team, I'd believe you. Well, I mean, I've seen him uh, get penalized for blocked in the back, and I've seen him do a couple penalties – but literally, I haven't seen him make any special teams plays. Now, he's a gunner, so maybe he's down there forcing people to fair catch. But, bruh, C.J. Goodwin is out there doing that, and he ain't caused nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you don't so, want your second-round picks doing that. No, so I would be surprised unless he makes significant improvement uh, if he's on the team next year. 
Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.